0: Hey, Conjugate Chat friends, this is Mike Cunningham from Gill Athletics, and I need your help, or maybe I need to help you. See, we have a crap ton of rubber bumper plates and other weight room items that we need to clearance. We need to clear them out of our factory. That's right, a crap ton. That's the official measurement. All offers will be considered. Email me at M C U N N I N G H A M at gillathletics.com to see the full list and check out the show notes right here on Conjugate Chats
1: for a link to see the items and my email address. Thanks everybody and stay strong. And welcome back to another episode of the Conjugate Chats. Before going into the episode. I want to thank everyone for tuning in to this episode and uh, taking the time to sit down and just listen in on what we got going on here on the podcast today. Um, a couple of things before we get going into the episode is um, I want to do a couple ad reads for our sponsors, starting with the DOYC, the Department of Young Strength Coaches. This group is designed for young strength coaches wanting to go into the field of strength conditioning. Whether that's CSCS prep, GA or internship opportunities, or even live discussions, they are a resource for young coaches to take advantage of. I will put the link to the Discord in the description of this episode. Also, Team Builder. Team Builder is a software for performance coaches around the world. Their powerhouse platform provides coaches with an elevated experience when it comes to program development, data tracking, and staying connected with athletes and clients. Team Builder is also full of tools that coaches need, like multiple max training methods, 16 plus reports, evaluation testing, and goal setting to name a few. Coaches also have access to consultations with Team Builder's in-house sports scientists to help manage and analyze data. Head to teambuilder.com and sign up with the promo code CONJUGATE to receive a 30-day free trial as well as a 52-week football workout program. Please be sure to sit back listen in and enjoy this episode of the Conjugate Chats. Thank you. And welcome back to another episode of the Conjugate Ch- I'm your host, Joe Mark Raspberry, current strength coach over at Dyer County High School. I have on today, Colin Shoemate, who is Condition coach, over. I can't remember high school for the live of me, man. You got, you got to help me out here a little bit.
0: Green Lutheran High School, it rhymes with green, C R E A N, out in Irvine, California.
1: That's what I was thinking. I, I remember it was in California. I just couldn't remember the specific high school. So, uh-huh. so, uh, Colin, welcome to the Conjugal Chats, man. It's awesome to have you on.
0: Thanks, coach. I'm excited to be here. Like everybody else echoes, we love what you're doing. We love uh, giving coaches a platform to to learn from each other, to bounce off ideas. So uh, you've been doing a great job. Keep it up, Coach.
1: Appreciate it. Well, give the listeners a synopsis about you. Where are you from? How did you get into strength and conditioning and everything else in between?
0: Yeah, I'll be, uh, I'll be pretty brief, but to give some context on my background will help as we get into some of what we're going to talk about. Um, but I uh, I grew up in Las Vegas, Nevada, played football at San Diego State University, and transitioned into the weight room at the end of my football career. Um, due to some life circumstances, I, I transitioned out of the college realm to uh, help with my dad as he was recovering uh, from some health issues, and that brought me into the private sector. Uh, had a lot of success in the private sector. Was was working at a, a pretty elite level um, with a, professionals, Olympic committees, still doing stuff with collegiate high school and even youth. Um, but was was uh, seeing a lot of success, having a lot of fun, and uh, becoming a, a pretty solid coach. Um, again, due to some life circumstances and some changes, and and uh, getting married, and uh, and moving, decided to uh, get into. Uh, the goal being the high school side, but get into K-12, to get into education. It's got my teaching certification in health and PE. Um, and at this point, I'd already had my master's, had my CSCS, had everything on the strength side. But now I was looking to try to be a strength coach in the high school level. Uh, in the state of California, oddly enough, it is a far and in-between position. It is generally um, which is probably common elsewhere. It's generally the head football coach or head sport coach that runs the weight room. Um, and that's a, you know, that's, that's a golden job. They're not giving that up, uh, to someone else. So my first opportunity in order to work at high, in a high school weight room was that I had to teach middle school PE. And, uh, it was a, a huge humbling process. My first year, I, I definitely,
2: um, if I got
0: observed a little bit more, probably probably would have been fired due to being extremely over-intense. Um, uh, thank God that didn't happen. Still got through with those kids that year. I apologize uh, to that graduating class. Uh, but over the next few years, uh, it helped make make me, in my opinion, uh, a great coach. But, but what I should say is the coach that I am today, uh, working with, with younger kids, getting middle school kids to... Um, try and excel in a, in a big group setting, uh, I feel phased by nothing at this point. And uh, I, I really feel like God used that opportunity to humble me because when I finally got to the point where uh, I honestly said I could do this for the rest of my life, uh, teach in the middle school, r- run the weight room at the high school, um, my, my current opportunity opened up. And at, at this point here at King Lutheran, uh, I, my wife and I call it a unicorn job. I'm extremely blessed. I have an amazing weight room. I have amazing administration. I have two full-time assistant coaches, a 5,500-square-foot facility, uh, just absolutely blessed beyond measure. And uh, I I try to live and coach every day in honoring the opportunity that uh, God has given me. Uh, So I'm uh, coming through my fifth year here at Crean. And uh, like I said, we'll, we'll kind of talk about that journey through that I've gone through here and, and how I hope it can spur some ideas to help other coaches to uh, legitimize or incentivize
1: their program. Awesome job coach. And that's one thing I think a lot of strength coaches don't realize about the high school realm is that a majority of the high schools that we want to enter right. Public schools even to a degree some private schools as well that you have to have a teaching license in order to do the thing that we really want to do and that's you know run the weight room sport performance speed agility all the great wonderful stuff man um i think that's one thing that i think some coaches lack that knowledge of it's like yeah we got to go through a education prep program or alternative program or you got to go get your masters or something to that nature to Enter the high school realm and become a high school strength and condition coach.
0: Yeah, not, not to rabbit trail down this too hard, but I, I think an extremely important point, coach, is the number one advice I give people that want to get in, honestly, to strength and conditioning in, in general, but specifically high school, is go get certified as a teacher. Go get your career locked up, get your paycheck locked in, start on your uh, your pay scale, and then develop opportunities to become that strength coach. If that means you've got to teach science or math or whatever, um, it, it's not ideal, but for most coaches that are are currently active in in strength and conditioning uh, that I know, it it started in that realm. Become a teacher, grow opportunities, and you're gonna you're gonna find first of all, your your life's gonna be better off for it. Uh, in terms of that salary and all those benefits. Um, but yeah, it it is, it's a big curve. I mean, uh, so I think we've kind of come to this point in the, in the career where we have people coming straight out of college, going to that, and then maybe they have missed out on that internship at the collegiate level or at the private level. Um, so we're, we're kind of at, uh, an interesting point where we'll, I think we're getting, um, more and more coaches into the realm that are, Qualified to teach, but maybe they're lacking the experience. Um, but I don't think that's a bad thing. I think that us um, older coaches having kind of gone through uh, the, the hoops a little bit and to find a better way, uh, a, a better quality of life, um, better balance to give up and coming coaches is, is a really good thing. So I think that trajectory uh, for our profession and that advice to uh, new coaches. Is a really good thing. Become a teacher, grow your opportunities, and and you're going to be your life quality of life is going to be a lot better off for it for sure.
1: And I, that's kind of the realm that I went because I had one internship when I was at my alma mater. Then after that, worked in physical therapy, and whatnot. But I didn't have that formal, I guess, experience, and I didn't have a GA, you know, opportunity. So I didn't have, you know, this D1, D2, high caliber strength program that I interned under um, you know kind of figure out things along the way and one of those things was well I got my teaching license and then you know I was able to teach science and social studies but work on my craft on the side as well you know it wasn't always pretty and some of the stuff that I program you know two three years ago I look back now I'm like I don't know why they let me run the weight room at at, you know at that point you know but at the same time I mean those are learning curves that I think people need to go through as well.
2: Yeah. Yeah. The
0: last thing I'll kind of say to it, and then we'll jump into the, the meat of the conversation is I think what has positioned up and coming coaches better than ever, especially if they're taking that path of becoming an educator first is the quality and the amount of um, continued education in terms of conferences, right? The NHS, SCA, like that's what they're all about is let's take these coaches that may know nothing about strength and educate them. And that's why they're starting their cert and, uh, and then just the openness of coaches, right? Like, why is this podcast a big deal for some of us coaches? You know, we just like to be able to talk and, and, uh, have people hear our voice. But I mean, I, I think of the amount of, uh, Coaches with maybe a lack of experience or total inexperience of, of having this resource and hearing what other people are doing and, and creating a network of people that are completely open for you to reach out. And and most of these coaches I know say, here, here's my whole program. Take it, evaluate it, figure out what works for you. I mean, what a cool point in our industry um, that we're in that we've, we've come to be open and and um, love to be connected to each other. So I think um, things are, are changing. Uh, for the positive. So it's all good in my mind.
1: Absolutely. Now let's kind of dive deep into our topics here. One of them is maximizing efficiency within our program. It's kind of rethinking the way that we need to warm up. Um, I think that's kind of a, I, I guess, a non missing piece, but a piece that often gets overlooked because we're like, all right, we're just going to run through a few warm up drills and then we're going to go lift. It's like, No, we need to actually take time inside of our warm ups and actually, you know, bring purpose to what we do in our warm ups. So bring us your thoughts about what we can do to rethink our warm ups and maximize the time that we have there.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Uh, To clarify, um, the goal here is not to beat a dead horse of like the dynamic warm up, the wind to static stretch or not static stretch we're kind of moved past that point because i again i think um a majority of coaches have a good grasp on what should be done with a general warm up what what we're talking about here is more so a an efficiency or a utilization of time that you actually don't have right so what we're looking at is how can i dose in um some movement training some mobility some things that that normally I have to lead during my training sessions uh, with the kids. How can I teach them to incorporate that? And how can I teach their coaches to incorporate that during their sport practices or pregame or things like that, where um, they're going to warm up anyway. So why don't we try to make it a a way that uh, provides more value in their training qualities, especially when uh, our time with them is limited? Right. Like as much as I might want to get in um, my two to three 10 flies a week, uh, I may not be able to do that. Is that something that can be built in to the warm up as much as I want to hit uh, my car series for my shoulders or hips? You know, I might not have the time to do that or it might not be effective to do that after a practice when we're going to get a workout. in. so can I incorporate those types of things into the sport warm up? So that's that's really what we're talking about here. So, so kind of jumping into what I mean by that, I'll, I'll go through, uh, like we said, everyone allocates time for warm Like l- Let's just look at football specifically. Um, you know, one thing we've tried to do at Crean and, and we've been pretty successful is all of our sports teams utilize the same dynamic warmup. And that is because it's, um, generally effective. It's going to hit what we want it to. And then the reality is is that they, the athletes can be very efficient at it, right? If you're learning something new every time in the warmup, that's not bad. That, that's not bad at all. But for the sake of time, it probably doesn't make any sense, right? So if we've established that base warmup, uh, here's the thermogenic stuff, here's your dynamic stretch stuff, uh, et cetera, right? They already have that base. And now that that has been established, and from year to year, it's generally going to be the same. We've we've now created these opportunities that we can start to incorporate uh, some different methods. So, for example, uh, in the warm up, we're going to try to dose some speed or agility uh, prep or actual testing. Right. So we we fit our thermal, we fit our dynamic, and now we're going to go through a pogo series. Um, we're going to go through a bounding series. We're going to do these things that they've all learned to be effective at with me. But now that they uh, are doing it before their practice, because I can't be there for their practice, I'm ensuring that they're still getting exposure to those qualities, right? Super simple idea, but but think about it in terms of that as the, the um, dosage or that or hitting those qualities is happening uh, in, a, in a relatively effective way. And I don't have to be there for it, right? Because like I said, it, it may be that they are going to go to practice and do all of that before they come see me. We we know in terms of qualities of training, uh, I could still train speed after their practice, but am I actually doing that, right? Am I actually going to be within 90% of their max speed? Am I actually going to get the quality intent of hitting top speeds? Probably not, right? Just like physiologically, they're going to be too tired to do that. And then at that point, maybe I'm just increasing injury risk, right? So just looking at like order of operation, being able to put in some speed and agility development in that warm up is a major opportunity. So the next thing you can start to think of is, again, within that, um, what could that look like? Like I said, it could be as simple as dribble drills. It could be bounding drills. It could be uh, jumping drills. Um, it could be a, a grid type of drill. Where again, it's it's really about quality and prep, and and I think that makes sense in the warm up versus conditioning. And then at the same time, we can start to incorporate some mobility, right? Like some teams, no matter what you do, no matter how you educate, are going to do a static stretching. Okay. Well, instead of fighting the coach on that, why don't I turn that static stretching into some effective mobility drills? Right. They're going to hit these uh, three hip mobilities. These three. Uh, shoulder scap mobility drills and they already know it and they're going to do it and it's not requiring the sport coach to do anything extra right it's it's integrated into what's going on so it's just that idea of taking advantage of a time that already exists and as we um, teach our kids and we and we build an arsenal of things that they can do now you can even start to take that next step like for example within that football team within that same context of a 10 to 15 minute warmup, I may have, um, position group specific things going on. And again, it's things that the kids can run. Uh, if the coach wants to be a part of it, he can do it. I could have my skill guys. As soon as we finish that dynamic, go hit some wickets. I can have my big guys, uh, do some broad jumps, right? I can have my big skill guys, uh, work on, uh, some, uh, break, plant, separate, drill, whatever that looks like. And again, it's all part of that warm-up that they're not having to do separate things. The other thing that it can allow for is individualization for the athletes with during that time, right? I have a guy that uh, I know is having some tendonitis issues in his shoulder. Well, during that warm-up mobility where uh, I don't have time to go be with him specifically, the sport coach may not know what to do with him specifically. They can work on some drills that are that are part of their return to play, right? I've, um, I have armed them for that, that our ATC has prepared them for that, and it's not extra. And I think that's the whole point is, we're not trying to add extra, we're trying to make what they're doing more efficient and more effective. So the last thing I would kind of say to that is, is it's not that you need to reassess how your war-ups are done, but can you teach the teams to have the most effective warmups uh, across the, uh, the board of, of uh, their sport or activity? And can you start to dose in some speed and agility stuff? Because the more, more and more research we're seeing on the need for in-season exposure, I think it speaks for itself. And just knowing, at least for me, but I'm sure for most schools, logistically, uh, it's difficult to get in everything you want to. And we feel like we have to pick and choose and sacrifice Again, we look at this as a huge opportunity uh, to clean things up and it it takes some investment because your, your head coaches or assistant sport coaches may have no desire. So it may take some sacrifice for you to plug it in, but then, you know, towards the leadership aspect is now the seniors are in charge of it, right. Or the leaders or the captains are in charge of it. And it's, um, it, it takes kind of a gradual release approach, um, but it's been it's been huge for us. And in a sense, it's such a simple thing, right? Like it's such an easy way uh, to continue to increase exposure to uh, certain areas of need for our athletes.
1: Absolutely. And one thing that you really mentioned that I want to kind of touch on and kind of re, I guess reiterate is the fact that like the. Where we put like our speed training and our warm-ups and everything all has a purpose behind it, right? So if we go and go through a long practice, let's just use football, for example, right? We go through a two-hour practice, and then coach wants to do speed training right afterwards, right? You're not going to get the most maximum benefits from speed training after they're just dog-tired because they just played their sport and practiced their sport for two hours. So you're not going to get much out of them. And that's where the education piece comes in. You know, you're educating your head coach. And I really, I'm a big advocate of educating your assistant coaches as well. Because if you can get through with all your assistant coaches, it's a lot easier to get through your head coach as well. So, you know, if they understand, and let's just use the feed of the cats mentality, right? Fatigue is the enemy. If we have a staff full of this mentality of fatigue is the enemy, that changes practice. That changes how we do things. This that your order of operations changes right then and there, because you have a whole staff on board, you have a plan, right? You go through your speed drills. You might lift before you go out to practice, and then you go to practice, right? You're maximizing the time that you have for that team.
2: Yeah, I mean it, it's exactly that, and I, I think the the biggest
0: thing you learn the longer you're in the high school realm is like. It's not really about the specifics of what you're doing. It's all driven by the logistics, right? Timing, equipment, uh, when you can train, the amount of kids you have, the amount, number of assistants you have, like, uh, you know, as, as much as it's important to know the educate, our educational side of, of programming and exercise selection and all of that, uh, where the rubber meets the road, it's going to come down to what can we actually do. So I think, I think always looking for ways to be more effective and efficient in a way that makes sense in terms scientifically and with their education, right? Like we're saying, like, we know there's a difference between speed training and conditioning sort of ultimately, right? Like, and it, and it's generally the quality, the intent Um, it is going to be, I mean, you might have the toughest kid in the world. The reality is that after practice, if I'm trying to hit speed training qualities, physiologically it's just it's only so possible, right? And again, kind of that idea I know I need to do it. so when I need to do it in terms of order of operation, you know we could get into the details of it, but the warm up it just makes sense, right? Like if I could get a time sprint in during the warm up and it doesn't take away from anything from that sport practice, that's really positive. That's really good. So how can I look for ways to drive quality intent of those of those uh, other areas of speed, agility, mobility um, in in time that already exists, right? Like I'm never looking to make our kids do more, to be honest with you. Um and and some coaches might have different opinions about that, but uh, most of our kids are already doing too much. So how can I clean up what we're doing to make it effective? And that's kind of the whole point of this approach uh, to making your warm-up, uh, seeing your warm-up as an opportunity to, to dose in more qualities than just getting ready for practice.
1: Absolutely. And you talked a little bit about individualization because we are able to kind of implement what we want right into our speed sessions, our warm-ups, and everything like that. And that's such a key point, too, because, like, you know, if we got a cross-country runner and we got a football player, those are two different demands, and then we can actually start to, you know, individualize their needs for their sport. Not so much of a sport-specific task of we want to individualize what they need for the demands of their sport.
2: Yeah, exactly,
0: and it can be... Uh, you know, there's, there's so many different examples we can go through. Um, but it, it's also a great opportunity to individualize for athletes. Dealing with specific injury issues, right? Like, so we have all this hip mobility plan or not all, but to, during that stretching time, these are three hip mobility drills. Well, I know a kid is dealing with shin splints. So during that time uh, I have already told them or prepared them or had an, or, or informed an assistant sport coach that, Hey, uh Johnny's gonna do uh his single leg uh, eccentric calf stuff. He's gonna do some heel walk, whatever during that time. And it's it's not separate, right? It's not saying, hey, if this drill bugs Johnny's shins again, have him step out and do these. That that's not fair to put, to put that on coaches who still have to run those drills, right? So the whole point is within what already exists, how can we again? It's kind of being the same thing, but how can we, again, make it effective, efficient? How can we arm our our coaches and our athletes to um, get what they they actually need during that time? Because so much of warm-up is general, right? So much of it is general prep, general uh, stretch, general activation. And that is completely fine. But at the same time, we can recognize the opportunity to individualize that that warm-up, that prep. Um so that they're getting a little bit more of what they need.
1: Absolutely. And now this next kind of topic that uh that we really want to talk about is something that I'm going through currently and I, I'm sure that a lot of other coaches will go through as the years kind of come on and uh we see the increase in strength coach uh or strength conditioning professionals in the high school realm and that's insensitizing your program. Um one thing that really stuck out to me about this was the fact that you know admin focus so much on the academic side, and that's their main focus right they they got have science teachers they gotta have math teachers they're they're not so concerned about a strength and conditioning coach, and we can dive down into like being a let like, just say like a math teacher for a couple of years and try to integrate yourself that way. But what are some things that you've seen and what are some things that, you know, helped inspire some ideas, not only to like coaches, but admin about integrating and sensitizing your program with a strength conditioning program?
0: Yeah, for sure. This is an area
2: that I've grown pretty passionate about. Um,
0: Especially... um, as I've been with the NHS SCA longer, uh, I'm the SoCal director. So I, and, and the only reason I mentioned that puts me in a position to connect with a lot of coaches and it, this, what we're going to talk about kind of comes from two places. Um, and it, and it may sound selfish, but I think the reality for a lot of coaches that transition to high school is they did it, um, and part of those reasons were selfish and I'll expand on that. And what I mean is, is for their own time for the sake of their own and their family's time, um, that's going to be a big part of it. And the other is, is for our students, um, there's, there's an opportunity to make your and their life better while doing everything that you plan to do training, right? So that's, that's kind of sets the the path for what we're going to talk about. Uh, the difficult part is. It's not like, here are your steps, one, two, three, do this, and you'll be better off. It's very, what makes this difficult is the same, kind of the same thing that makes um, academic programming uh, difficult or different. Uh, Depending on what state you're in, you have different standards than me. You have different processes. You have different requirements for how this can be done. So I can't necessarily speak to all of those. but the person and the people that can are your administration. So my hope is to kind of give you some ideas of how you can approach those conversations, how you can start to look to educate yourself. Because again, the bottom line is I want you to make your life better and I want you uh, to incentivize your program and essentially make it better for your students. Right. So that that's kind of what we're going to get into. So I'll kind of explain my process here at Kareen, and and this is very specific to uh, California schools. So some of what I say might be a foreign language to people. And and to be honest, part of it is specific to private school as well. But I guarantee you, there is a way, there is a process for you to do some of this to incentivize your program. Um, So just to give some context, uh, at Crean, uh, when I first got here, we're, we're on a block schedule. It's basically odd, even days um, to simplify it, right? So Mondays and Wednesdays are always going to be uh, my odd classes. Tuesday Thursdays are always going to be my even period classes. Friday for us is either odd, even, or uh, online. So the nice thing is we're blocked, but you you kind of know what to expect. I know there's some rotating block schedules, different each day is a different period or different length. So it gets crazy, right? And that's that's part of what I'm saying. It's like, this is very specific to your situation. Um, but once you understand your situation, you can really start to think about some solutions, right? So again, here at Crean, alternating block schedule. Um, so I'm always going to see... Um, certain teams on Monday, Wednesdays and one or two Fridays a month. I'm always going to see certain teams on Tuesday, Thursdays and one or two Fridays. A yep. When I first got here, um, the, way w- the way it works for us essentially is Monday, Wednesdays are boys athletic periods. So the fourth, there's four classes a day. The fourth period is athletics. Tuesday, Thursdays are girls athletics days. So the fourth period that day is girls athletics. So essentially, the teams that wanted to train I uh so for my boys, teams that wanted to train, I had one 90 minute block to train every team that wanted to or after school that that was it. but I'm in the weight room, starting from first block. so my first year, I'm sitting in here for three and a half hours um. And I I had a lot of work logistically setting up the weight room, blah, 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 getting all this stuff. But it was just like, man, this, this doesn't make any sense, right? Like this is such a missed opportunity. And then the second thing is on that same page, like essentially I would train you in your pre or off season, but in your in season, that athletics block is when you went to practice. So the only way you were going to come lift is, was was going to be, if it was after school. And, and even then for uh, like basketball, they're they're probably playing on that day anyway, right? So how how am I going to get a lift in? Um, and there's ways to make it work. Excuse me. There's ways to make it work and we're doing it. But what I'm saying is just recognizing it doesn't make a ton of sense, especially if, if we can find a solution, right? So that was how I first kind of identified it. Uh, there's, there's classes that could be being trained in. And by sharing what I do with an athletics block, I don't have that much control, actual control over their scheduling, right? So I could have the best program of, of mice and men, but like, what if they don't show up, right? Or what if, what if something happens that week? And and, and again, that's all kind of normal, but it's definitely not what's best, right? So I recognized a few things. I knew we needed to create a separate training class, right? So. You had your athletics and that can't change because facility wise that has to happen for us. So what I'm seeing though, is what about my first and second and third block during the days? Why, why aren't we training during those times? And these were the hurdles that I recognized because it's not that simple, right? There are reasons that's not happening. So the first one is we're a high academic standard school. We have like 25 different AP classes we have freshmen taking AP classes. The Our GPA scale, I'm convinced is fake. It goes like above five point. It's ridiculous. Right. But that's, that's a thing. That's a big reason why people come to our school as, as a college preparatory level of education. Um, that is probably most private schools. So that's definitely something I've got to work through because what I'm saying is I want to add a class in addition to your athletics block. So you potentially have eight, classes that you can take a week in, in person. Um, so now I'm saying 20% of your schedule is going to be athletics, your athletics block. And we'll just call it strength and performance. That's that's our class and now strength and performance. So 20% of your schedule is going to be for athletics. That's a huge ask. So how am I going to make that make sense? First of all, to administration, but then secondly, to the students and their families, some of them don't care But some of them go, well, there's no way I can do that because now I can't take AP lit or I can't take AP stats or your class doesn't even give me a letter grade. So why would I do that? Right. So I've recognized that issue and that is an issue. The second big thing is it's not as simple as adding a class. It doesn't work that way. Right. So I have to figure out how to work with administration and counseling to make what I want fit into our master schedule. Right. Some classes are only offered during this period of the day. And if I'm going to say, well, I want my training during that period, I'm now telling those kids, essentially, they can't take that class. That's a problem, right? So it, it's, it's very much so a puzzle. And I didn't know how that puzzle worked, but I recognized I better start to get some insight or figure it out so that I can come up with some solutions,
2: right? Are you tracking with me so far? So
0: why would all this be worth it? It's kind of the next question, right? I, I've recognized the problem. I've, rec- I've recognized what I need to do to solve it. But the reality is, is I could just shut up, train these kids during that last block after school and live on, right?
2: Um, so why, why even bother? Okay, so let's,
0: let's jump into that. <laughs> In this current class, we're back when I started, this current class is a credit or no credit uh, PE. So, in the state of California, you need two full credits of PE. Essentially, you can earn 0.5 credits per semester of playing a sport or being in PE or being in strength conditioning class. Okay. So, essentially, it's going to take you four semesters or two years to fulfill that. Again, in, in my high academic focused school, um, kids are not looking to. For lack of a better term, and, and I am a certified PE teacher, so I'm not trying to offend anyone. Kids are not looking to waste their schedule on PE-based classes. For the athletes, it's not that big of a deal because by playing, af- doing a sport for four years, they're going to fulfill it, right? Um, but now I'm saying, in addition to your sport only being credit, no credit for PE, so is my class. That doesn't make any sense. So I've got to figure out how to turn this into an elective credit, right? So they're getting something different than PE and I want it to be for a grade. I want them to get a letter grade. I want them to get a GPA boost for taking my class. That's a huge incentive. You tell that to your your head sport coaches, hey, I'm trying to get my class letter grades to keep your students eligible. What do you think they're going to say? Heck yeah. How can I help you? How can we figure this out? Right. How can we get our kids GPAs up uh, for doing something they're already, already going to do? Right. So that, that speaks for itself, but I've got to figure out how to make it, how to make that happen. Okay. So that's my first or kind of uh, why it would be worth it. Second thing is, is consistent in season training. So to give you an idea, if you've, if you've at, at least in our realm, uh, so you can kind of think through some numbers, um, if I only see you for for preseason, so winter sports is a good a good example for us. That's um our main uh, our uh, uh, boys and girls basketball, boys and girls soccer, and wrestling. We don't have a wrestling team, but uh, I recognize the importance of it to all those coaches out there. So I will get to train those groups depending on a few things. I'm probably guaranteed ten weeks leading up to their preseason where they've got to go as much practice as possible. And then that's typically like in October. And then our teams are very good. Our teams are going to the playoffs. Our teams are going to fight to uh, win CIF, which is our our state championship or our regional championship, and then go to states. So likely they're playing through March. Okay. So I've got some of August, September, and then if they come after season ends, which generally they're all going to go into club, um, I would get. Some of, it, some of April and May. So I'm looking at two months on, the, on either end, right? So let's say 12 to 16 weeks out of the entire year that I'm going to get to train these kids. Essentially, in, a, in, in the way our school year, we have 40 weeks of school. So I'm getting about a quarter of that, right? A little more, 30% of that. So on the low end, kids are nearly, over the four years of their high school career, they're nearly going to miss out on 100 weeks of training right? They're only getting 12 to 16 of a 40 per year. They're going to miss out on a hundred weeks of training during that four years. That's almost two years of training. They're not getting that's half of their high school career that they're not getting it. And then the, the other problem is, is even if that's all I get, I don't see them for nine months, six months before I get it again. What am I, what am I even doing for them at that point? Right? That's a big, that's a big problem. In season training is one of the most necessary things, right? As the longer you do this, The more people you talk to, you recognize that, right? So that's a huge incentive. Uh, Third thing, time, my time, sitting in an empty weight room because there's no classes scheduled. uh, Personally, I'm not into that. Why? What am I doing here? That's a waste of time. I can find things to do, but like, I want to be training these kids and just to be transparent. If I'm training these kids now, I'm not having to train these kids after school. That means after school. I get to leave when school ends. I get to go pick up my daughter from daycare. I get to go hang out with my kids and my wife at home. That's a big deal. That's, that's a huge part of why I'm in this realm, right? So I'm going to do everything I can to make sure that I have that, that work-life balance and blend well. I'm going to fight hard to make sure my family is number one, but still um, honoring and being a great steward of this job, right? That's very important. And but at the same time, it's the kid's time. Like our, some of our kids are on campus for 12 to 16 hours and still haven't done their homework. And, uh, and I'll, I'll kind of talk about it in a second, but like we have very limited facilities. So part of it is realizing time. I want to get my time back. I want to be more effective with it. And I want to make their day shorter by getting their training done during the school day, right? They don't have to come after practice or they don't have to come later in the evening. Let's try to condense that schedule. And last thing I kind of hit on is facility usage. Uh, we have one field. We have one court. So that means at different times, so just a, two specific examples. Girls volleyball is a fall sport in, in California. So that means that they're going up until December, typically, if, if they're competing through playoff. I kind of mentioned basketball earlier, earlier. They're trying to start in October, full preseason, go four to five days a week. We've got one gym. In-season sports always going to be prioritized. So what does that mean? Girls basketball doesn't get onto the court court until all volleyball levels are done. Girls basketball has three levels. So if my girls basketball team doesn't get to practice until, um, let's say, 4 o'clock, varsity goes from 4, probably close to 6. JB and Frost, maybe they can combine. That means they go from 6 to 8. That means my JV and Frost girls basketball players are not home until after 8 p.m. Maybe they've done their homework at school. I doubt it. They haven't had dinner. They're not going to wind down from practice and go to sleep until probably midnight, wake up at six and start it all over. It doesn't matter what training plan I have, what practice plan they have. That is a disaster, right? But what are we supposed to do? How do we affect that? So facility use, we're going to kind of come back to that. I recognize that as a big opportunity. The other example would be boys' soccer is a winter sport. Football is a fall sport. Boys' soccer can't practice until football is off the field. So those are two major areas that I recognize as opportunity, right? So I'm going to try to uh, incentivize the class for credit and letter grade. I'm going to provide in-season training. I'm going to make everyone's day shorter and more efficient. And I'm going to see if I can open up some opportunities for facility usage. Right. That's what I've recognized as why this could all be worth it. OK.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, to administration, they see that, you know, now you're putting a letter grade on some of these classes. You know, it appeals to sport coaches because, all right, you know, we're getting our GPAs up. You know, we're going to essentially do the same. You're you're getting training done and you're putting a letter grade with it. So they're going to do it anyways. You know, that's a great. I guess not an alternative route, but a great solution to a problem as well. Um, But for uh, as an admin, as well, like an AD, thinking, okay, I can keep my athletes more eligible. I can, you know, keep our athletes in a consistent schedule, right? They go to weightlifting, uh, second block, third block. Here's the teams, you know, whatnot. And it's consistent. And they don't have to sit there and number crunch and try to figure out where to put people you know that's that's a really good solution um the second aspect of that the in season training part I didn't realize that if you miss out that twelve to sixteen weeks of you know athletes actually training in season that that they're missing out on two years worth of training that that's insane, and you know I do agree with you on the on the fact that like you know if they miss out in season training and then they get what a couple months to recover from their sport. And then they get 3 or 4 months with you and the cycle just repeats itself over and over. I mean, that that's a lot of time being just cut out of training. And that's a lot of time to sit there and be detrained and possibly get these athletes at higher risk, you know, of injury. That that's insane.
0: Yeah, it's pretty. It's pretty crazy. And again, I, like I fully recognize that this is people's situations and they might not be able to do anything about it, but
2: maybe you can. That's the whole point, right? Okay, so let's go through quickly. Again, this is specific to me, but this is I've helped you kind of
0: recognize maybe areas that you identify as problems to work through, and give you briefly my solutions, but. And let, let me, let's inspire a thought process. Here. Let's inspire some conversations so you can do this for your school if, if it's not already there. Yeah. So the process for me was a lot of uh, observation, um, communication, and growing relationships with administration, with counselors, uh, a lot of questions and a lot of bad questions on my part, you know, retrospectively, but I, I, was, I was just relatively ignorant. I didn't know what we were trying to work on. I didn't know what, how to achieve it. But um, the, one of the main ones is you got to figure out who's in charge of your master schedule, who sets when classes take place, how many um, how many teachers teach a, a certain subject, uh, blah, blah, blah. And so generally that's called the master schedule at schools. For us, that's that was in principle. So how does the master schedule work? If I ask for a class during this period, how does that affect what other classes are being offered? That's one of the biggest things you're going to do is understand if you ask for something, how it affects everything else. So can you help provide some solutions, ideas uh, to work through that, right? Well, all of our math is offered during third block and you're asking to switch uh, three of our athletic teams to third block. When going to take that, right? Do I talk to those teachers? Do I ask, well, is it possible to shift one or two math classes to a first period when we don't really first block when we don't really have any classes offered it's those types of conversations and that that's not easy and and you might have an administrator that doesn't support it but you've got to try that's that's got to be where you start right master schedule and class availability is going to be a huge conversational piece and the, the reason counseling department is usually important is like they're usually the face of having to do that with their kids. So for me, it was, I don't want to create a bunch of work for other people. Um, so what that looked like is like, if I set up uh, this, this sport needs to be during this period, I collected all the rosters. So the, I had all the student names. I had all the student numbers. I, asked, I sent specific emails to those counselors to say, Hey, these are your students. Can you block up their schedule for this class next year? I tried to do as much work on the back end as possible. I created curriculum maps like if they're this grade, this sport, this is the class we want them in, etc. So it was having to learn that system and then current me trying to come up with as many solutions as possible, right? So I did that slowly over the few over a few years. I did it with one team and then two teams and and now we're up to nine teams that I have training um, during the school day with all the benefits that we've that uh we kind of alluded to the second big thing though and this is can you give me an a for this class or, or a letter grade for this class I say. um and they will say yes but it might mean absolutely nothing it might be kind of fake so i wanted it to be legitimate okay so for us in california that was the ucag process not easy i had to learn what that means I had to learn how to get it approved. I had to create the syllabus, the curriculum standards, all of these things. But
2: now, the fruit of that
0: is um, every year that you're in my class, except for your freshman year, so I'll just kind of lay it out like this. Uh, Each academic year, the class earns you a different type of credit. So your freshman year, it's going to get you an additional PE credit on top of your sport. So that means if you do your sport and you're in my class, now you're done with your PE credits. We don't have many freshmen in both athletics in my class. We kind of reserve it for varsity level athletes because generally freshmen have a very impact schedule. But anyway, that exists. Sophomore year, it's now approved that you will get letter grade
2: and you'll get an elective credit. Junior year, you
0: get a different elective credit. It, it's labeled as a different class, same training. There's a few different things that you have to do academically, but it, it is a different elective credit for a letter grade and it's honors. So now not only are you getting an, a, that letter grade boost, you're getting an honors credit boost. So now we've gotten that point where that senior credit is, is for sciences, for honors. So every year that they're in my class, it's a different type of credit the GPA boost, it's all positive. That is a lot of backend work, learning academically how to do that. Uh, I've got to know the learning management systems. I've got to know what I need to assign them, how I need to test them. But it, it it's so worth it, man. Like I've gotten, it just it's the fruition of it. Telling my seniors, hey, if you train with me next year, uh, which they don't, they're not technically required. They're they're pressured, but they're not required. You're going to get a science credit. And then when your season's over, you can transition to online only and complete the science modules on our our learning management system. Like, are you kidding me? I wish as a senior high school, I would have had that opportunity and I didn't have to keep waking up at 6am to go to training. But anyway, like it's, it's great for everyone involved there. Um, the other thing is it's freed up a ton of time and training opportunities. So not all of our sports have that athletic block. half of our sports are after school only. If they only get to practice after school, like at what point were they going to come train with? Them? They weren't. Golf, tennis, track. So essentially they were on the back burner. There was nothing they could do. And, and, it, and to be honest, I didn't prioritize them because I had to get my quote unquote main teams in. That, that's not cool. I'm just being honest with how it was. Now our tennis team comes in. Because our, our other team sports are out of the way, they're not in after school. Our track team comes in, right? Our cross country team comes in. We freed up, and now we're training more teams than ever, still within an efficient time frame, because those other teams that could be utilized during the day are that's huge, and the facility usage just to hit on it briefly um, during the preseason, soccer, boys soccer will go to the field during my class. And then they'll come train during that athletics block when football's on the field. Girls basketball will go use the court during my class. And then during that athletics block, when volleyball is on the courts, they'll come back and train. So we've moved up our, low, our lower level days, two hours. So instead of being done eight plus o'clock, our kids at the latest will be done by six o'clock. Like, that's huge, man. That's good for them. That's good for the coaches. That's good for the families. Um, th- that's been huge.
2: So I've talked about these things and and
0: what they've done, but this is, this is what I would say that process looks like. You you have to start asking your administration questions on how you can do this. You have to start begin assessing and processing ways that you can academically legitimize your program for for lack of a better term or, or, or a term that doesn't exist. And then once you, to understand those processes. Look for the problem areas, right? Well, I'm asking for a class here or then. Um, this is what needs to happen. Help provide solutions. If you approach this solution-oriented, you're going to have a good chance. And it's a ton of work. It looks different in every school, but by far, it's been the biggest area of improvement in our program for um, everyone involved. My life, their life, the coach's life, it's been nothing but good. And the last thing I would say to you is start small. If you can do it for one or two programs, it'll build from there. And that's how we did it. And like I said, now we're up to nine during the day. Um, it started with, with two, right? So it's definitely a process. Build it up. Um, but man, I, I promise to you, it's so good for everyone
1: involved. Absolutely. And one thing I want to add on top of all this, because like the master schedule, uh, during the summertime, admin is still trying to figure out classes and where people need to go and everything like that. I think if you can develop a well argument or a well incentive process about how to add classes like that during like maybe mid to late spring, that could be implemented into the summer. And so, you know, admin is not blindsided when you come in mid July. It's like, hey, I just need this class. And you know they're freaking out because you know we can't fit this in our schedule. Well, if you took the time in let's say February, March, presented in April, they got time to think about it. By the time June rolls around or the end of May, you know, they could implement that into their schedule because teachers leave. you know there's a lot of things that happen that changes the schedule, but that that time in summer is when they have all the changes. so if you can make that change or present that class in a well-organized manner, in a well-timely manner as well. I mean, that's huge, man. That's absolutely huge. Um, Going ahead and wrapping this thing up here, last segment, Conjugate Coach Spotlight. Do you want to shout out anyone that's making the difference in the field of strength conditioning?
0: Yes, absolutely. I do want to hit on one thing you just said because it is a really important factor. Um, That timing of when those scheduling things can happen is fully dependent on your school. So that's a great, point coach for us that starts to happen in like february or march for you guys that happens in summer so my point being is you have to ask those questions about the class and what it and what it requires etc early as possible so you know when you have those deadlines because if the deadline has passed it does not matter there, there nothing can be done so really good point coach sorry to, to go back on that uh in terms of, of spotlight yeah uh, got a lot of coaches so like i said i'm blessed to be the southern california director so i, I get to interact with a ton of really good coaches um but uh, someone to spotlight uh out here we all know him well and uh, he'd be a good time to get on the podcast uh funny dude ton of energy to talk to coach bubba reynolds at orange lutheran high school um uh, like i said we're green lutheran there there are a uh, little sister school orange lutheran high school just kidding. It's, it's the opposite. Uh, but coach Bubba is there, our region four director, uh, does an amazing, amazing job at the high school level. Great dude, super open, transparent about wanting to make coaches better. Um, so reach out to him. They run an awesome program over there. Uh, if you guys were at NatCon, you got to see him. Uh, I think he accepted my award for me. I couldn't make it this year. So hopefully he said something nice about me, but, but great dude. Definitely connect with him. Bubba Reynolds, uh, unfortunately, Orange Lutheran High School, but, but worth connecting with him.
1: Awesome, coach. Well, I want to thank you again for being on the podcast and working with the craziness of uh, everything that's happened with uh, audio and whatnot, man. And, and it's awesome to have you on. And I think this is something that a lot of coaches are going to either approach to or are, are um, facing right now in their own situations in the high school realm, which is completely awesome. And uh, I really appreciate you coming on and bringing light to that.
0: Yeah, absolutely, Coach. Again, the platform you're providing, the content you're providing is amazing for our profession. So thank you. We're super blessed by all of your efforts. Uh, Coaches, if you have questions about that process, if I can uh, help you in any way, please reach out to me. uh, My email is uh, Colin. Shoemate at org. My Twitter handle is at Coach CSHU. To find me somehow, uh, connect with Coach Raspberry and he can connect us as well. I'd love to um, help make your life and your kids' lives better for sure.
1: Thank you, Coach. And that's another episode of the Conjugate Chats. Please follow our social media platforms at Conjugate Chat Podcast on Twitter and TikTok. Also, Follow uh, Coach Shue on his social medias as well. In the name of strength, stay strong and have a day today. And before we end this episode here, I wanted to bring the light to something. Um, most people on here are either strength coaches or aspiring strength coaches. Um, for those that are aspiring strength coaches out there, um, I set up a Gumroad account, a uh, store even, to provide value back into the field of strength and conditioning. Starting with, um, I have study guides on there uh, for anyone that's not pass the CSCS or is going to take the CSCS. Um, These are study guides that I've developed over the last 30 years that I've used in my attempts to pass the CSCS, and I wanted to bring that value here to our podcast. So if you will go to the link in the description of this episode, you'll see a link to my Gumroad, in which you can purchase or just download for free. Um, The study guides for CSCS, a couple of my guides for in uh, in in-season training, and also um, a couple of our products in there as well. Again, thank you for listening in on the Conjugate Chats, and thank you for your continuous support.